0: Thank you. junior year in college I got bored with college and for those of you who know me closely you know that being you know sort of ADHD that's one of the one of the issues that I have with my personality I bore easily with things I'm not a good person to go with on a sightseeing trip I could take in the Grand Canyon in about 15 seconds and say it's a big nice hole in the ground let's move on you know and there's really about only one thing in nature that I can just stay and watch for a long time and that's the ocean that's because it moves that's just That's me. I bore real easily. And thankfully, I don't bore easily with people. I mean, you know, I've been married to the same lady for 30 years, and I've served this church for 22 years next June. But it's not people, but I just bore with situations. And I was in college and, you know, studying to be in the ministry, and disillusionment had kind of set in because I'd kind of gone into it with great euphoria, and I really wanted to learn a lot of things, and, and I wound up you know, just hearing a lot of stuff repeated, and I would memorize it, and I would regurgitate, regurgitate it, and I can't even say the word, can I? I? I would give it back on a test, and and you know, get my grade and go on. And it just got really bored with college, and decided that I wanted to do something else for a little while. And I was working my way through college, uh, selling men's clothing in a clothing store at a mall. And the company that we worked for was pretty much a small shops based in New York City, um, throughout the country. And most shops had a manager who worked about fifty, fifty-five, sixty hours a week, and he did most of the sales, or she did most of the selling. And then they would hire college students part time, and I was one of those. And um, God really blessed, and I loved to sell, and I wound up outselling six managers in my in my district in the Fort Worth, Dallas area, just working part time. And I thought I'd like to see what would happen if I got into something real, something big. I'm twenty years old, completely naive, and and backward, but I'm thinking, hey, I'd like to see what would happen if I could get out and sell in a a better climate and do it full-time, because I was really bored with college. And of all companies, I wound up working for Coca-Cola. And I got a great job to be 20 years old, company, car, and and my job was to travel, and I wound up going from one end of Tarrant County, which is the county of Fort Worth, one end of Tarrant County, the west end to the east end, north to south. I dealt with just about every major outlet for Coca-Cola, mostly supermarkets. And my, my job was to sell product and space more than anything else. I mean, and't I don't, I don't, things have changed so much it's not the way they do business today i don 't think, but more than anything else, it wasn't so much product it was space because if you could sell shelf space, you could sell a lot more product floor space. So my, my job was to drive from outlet to outlet from supermarket to supermarket, engage the manager of the store, and say. I think we can we can do better here than Pepsi. If you'll let me have some of Pepsi's space here or Dr. Pepper's space, then I think we can we can make we can make more profit for your store. And what we really looked for was floor space because we wanted to build these massive displays. And because you know if you could if you could just build a huge display, you could sell all kinds of products. So I'd walk up through there and walk up through the store and I'd find some place where they had you know Keebler cookies or something, and I would go to the manager and say, "I think you could do a lot better with Coca-Cola." And I, I was just hired on for you know kind of on probationary status at first because I'm 20 years old, and most of the guys in, in this in this area who were doing this job had been with the company 20 and 30 years before they got this job, and so they they took a real chance on me. Let me know they were taking a chance, but God really blessed and 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 you know real quickly my income started moving up and it would take me years in the ministry before I would ever recover that income again I loved it and one of the things that made me successful when I would talk to a store manager was he would sometimes ask me and they would be kinda gruff you know as sometimes managers deal with vendors and he would say things like why should I let you have this floor space and I would always come back and say because we're coca-cola and I would say we're the most exciting product in your supermarket everybody knows coca-cola we're coke And you'd be surprised how many times that got me floor space and shelf space. Just, we're Coke. And um, back in those days, I remember we had a commercial, and and actually years before, and if you're my age or anywhere close to it, you can remember that Coca-Cola had a commercial slogan and a song that went with it that became sort of the framework for marketing the product, and the line was, it's the real thing. It's the real thing. And there's a reason why Coca-Cola settled on that. After, nine, after World War II, Coca-Cola had 60% of the soft drink market in the United States. And everybody wanted to copy it. You know, Pepsi-Cola, of course, was out there and had been there for a long time, and RC-Cola. But just about every little market, every, you know, every community had some bottler who was saying, we have a cola that's just as good as Coca-Cola. And they would slap some name on it, and that would be their product. But Coca-Cola wanted to say, our formula, our product— is the real thing no imitation will do and that's what I used to sell when I would talk to store managers I would say we're the real thing we're coca-cola 1985 though something really peculiar happened by the way just to give you a little bit of follow-up on the story so that you'll know how and why I'm doing what I'm doing now and not working for coca-cola God did a miracle to get me back on track after working for coke for just a few months a church called me to be on their staff and I was so grateful for that because even though I was making a lot of money and being very successful I knew I wasn't doing what God called me to do and so uh, in in August of that year of 1977 I began serving the first of four churches that I've served non-stop for the last 30 years so God is really good and I'm thankful but I'll tell you what even to this day I love Coca-Cola a Diet Coke anyway I'm so fat I can't drink Coca-Cola but I love the product now, in 1985, something happened with Coca-Cola that that really is not a good chapter in the history of Coke. Roberto gazetta took over the company. He was a great CEO, and I've loved reading his stories. He, he died not that long ago. He was very successful, and he led Coke to great heights. But in the very early stages of his of his management of the company of Coca-Cola, he made a serious blunder. Um, <laughs> For those of you, again, I'm, I'm, I know that a lot of you are young and you can't remember this, but Pepsi was trying to get some of Coke's share, and they did a real—they did a real good job, and they were very successful. They had a campaign that blindfolded people. You know, they would meet people at fairgrounds or public arenas or whatever, and they would invite people to take the Pepsi Challenge. And they would blindfold participants. They would put a cup, pre- presumably, of Coca-Cola and a cup of Pepsi, and blindfold the person. They would say. Taste it and see which one you like better. And time and time and time after again, at least on the commercials, the people like Pepsi better. And, and just giving you a little inside secret to it, the reason why is the Pepsi syrup is sweeter than Coca-Cola. And so Coca-Cola was watching their market share slip away. I mean, it had gone from 60% to 24% by the, by the mid-70s. And they were saying, we got to do something because Pepsi is, they're getting some of our market share but now they have a problem they've decided they're going to sweeten the formula and they're going to come out with something that eventually they will call the new coke the new coca-cola but they have this marketing nightmare for those of you who are in marketing you can understand this the last thing they can afford to say is we're being more like pepsi now so they have to kind of slip the news under the door and it was a terrible marketing strategy they just sort of released the news that coca-cola had a new flavor but how after all these years of saying it's the real thing how do you suddenly become the new coke it was a nightmare and what coke had to do to try to save a little bit of face was they had to trot out people who had credibility and get them to say on camera in a commercial we we really do like it and at times it got painful in just a minute you're going to see one of the, one of the people who i love and respect greatly his credibility was impeccable then it remains impeccable now But just watch the pain with which he tries to say, I really do like the new Coke. Take a look at this. The incredible has happened. The impossible has become a reality. Coke actually tastes better than ever before. Yes, Coke has a new taste. And I'm standing here with this ice cold, thirst-quenching, deliciously satisfying Coca-Cola, and it actually tastes better. Now, you know me, I always loved Coke for years and years. I like this Coke better. The new taste of Coca-Cola, better than ever before. Now, more than ever, Coke is it. <laughs> Man, don't you feel sorry for Bill? I mean, it's like you say, I really do like it. It's really better. Well, as you know, for those of you who are in, around in the mid-'80s, you'll know that Coke had to come back with egg on its face, and they created Coca-Cola Classic, which was the old, and now they're back to that completely. Now what I what I'm thinking about today as I stand before you is I don't want to look like Bill Cosby saying faith really is it. Because many of you come from backgrounds you know you've been to the college university or grad school or whatever where God and the Bible and faith is kind of made fun of. I mean if you the first first day at college you're going to have somebody attack your faith because they sort of pull you into that climate. Now I'm not talking every professor but many will pull you into that climate and say i've got to reorient your priorities and reorient your authority base and so oftentimes when you go to university they will attack your faith and many of you were in that climate for a while and maybe you've come back to church because you've got questions that you're struggling to find answers for but even now when i talk about faith you struggle with saying well fact is up here and faith is kind of down here and faith is not as real as fact you know, things that I can see, things that I can hear, things that I can touch, experiences that other people have had and written down in textbooks, that's something that I can take to the bank. But, I, you know, the faith thing, it's kind of a stained-glass church kind of deal. Most newspapers have something that they call the faith and values section. We have something similar to that here in Wichita with our eagle. I'm not knocking the eagle, but how many days a week does that particular section run in the newspaper? One. That's right, one out of seven. And where is it placed? It's not on the front page. It's not, in, you know, it's not in the local news. It's not in the business news. It's not in the sports news. Usually it's backed by the cartoon section. Why does faith get such a, a low placement in the newspapers around our country? And I'll just tell you the answer It's just a secret. I mean, it's a secret that probably a lot of them wouldn't want to say. Really, when it gets right down to it, they don't believe that there's anything to faith. They look at what you and I believe many times and say, it's not real. Maybe it's got some sort of psychological benefit to it. You know, maybe there is some sort of good thing about having some kind of faith, regardless of what it's in. In fact, there are 12-step programs that will tell you the very first thing you do is you get in touch with your higher power. There's some benefit in faith. And, and I'm not knocking those because they do a lot of good, but the idea is, well, you know if it's a brick or if it's God or if it's you. There's that concept that faith is not really real, but there's some sort of psychological benefit in faith. But what I want to preach to you this morning, hopefully with God's power helping enlighten us all, is that faith is the most real thing in the world. It's not like Bill Cosby. I'm not up here like Bill Cosby saying, really, you should believe in it. It's really true. I'm telling you it's more real than anything else that you and I have ever experienced. Now, let's say next summer it gets up to be 105, and it gets hot here in Kansas, doesn't it? Now, it gets up to 105, and I go out and I say, I don't think it's hot. It doesn't feel hot at all. It's not hot out here. Now, some people think that's what we're talking about with faith. It's really 105 degrees, but I'm just going to say by faith it's not really hot at all. That would not be smart. That would be dumb. At, At best, it's mind over matter, and at worst, it's denial. Faith isn't denying reality. Can I just say that one more time? Faith is not denying reality. What faith says is there is more here than meets the eye. It is not denying reality, it is seeing more of reality. Let's go from something simplistic to temperature. Let's, let's talk about when you and I have a loved one who passes away, and we're standing by a casket. If we say, my loved one did not die, that's denial. But faith says there's more here. Faith allows you to stand by that casket and say there's more here than meets the eye. There's more reality here than I can see. According to God, my loved one is in heaven with God. That's the premise of this message. Faith is not denying reality, it's seeing more of it. I want to take you back to the Old Testament today, to the book of 2 Kings, to a story that I love that really demonstrates this. Before I get into the story, let me give you just a little bit of background. There was a prophet in Israel whose name was Elisha. And God told him things, and God gave him knowledge that other people did not have; hence, his title prophet. There was a country and a king who wanted to take over Israel, and the country in the Bible was Aram, and the king of Aram wanted to overtake Israel and take over everything they had. And so he and he had a stronger nation and a stronger army. The only problem was every time he led his invading army to Israel the army of israel was right there waiting on them they knew their game plan and that allowed israel to defeat aram even though aram was a stronger nation so the king of aram called in his brass his top generals and he said one of you is working for the enemy and he said i want you to tell me right now who's on the payroll the king of israel and nobody spoke for a while but one timid soul ventured a hand and he said sir none of us here is a traitor there's this prophet down there in israel and god tells him things and, and he said even if you say something in your bedroom that guy knows about it and we don't know how he knows about it but he knows about it and he's the reason why we're getting whipped all the time so the king of aram said that's not a problem we'll just send an army down and we'll wipe that preacher out we'll kill him and that's where we pick up the story in second kings chapter six look at verse 14 so one night The king of Aram sent a great army with many chariots and horses to surround the city. Great army. When the servant of the man of God got up early the next morning and went outside, there were troops, horses, and chariots everywhere. Oh, sir, what will we do now? The young man cried to Elisha. So help me. We said we're not going to be in denial today. What is reality? you got a prophet who is hated by a king who sent a great army to kill him, and they've surrounded the city, and when the servant looks out the window, there's no doubt about it, there's an army out there that is reality. And sometimes life will do that to you and me. It'll gang up on us. And we'll look out the curtain of our life, and we'll see all kinds of problems out there. And to say that those don't exist, that's not faith. That's not what we're talking about. Reality was what it was. But I want you to pick up, as Paul Harvey says, the rest of the story. Verse 16, don't be afraid, Elisha told him. For there are more on our side than on theirs. Then Elisha prayed, O Lord, open his eyes and let him see. The Lord opened the young man's eyes, and when he looked up, he saw that the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire. So there's no doubt about it, the king of Aram's soldiers were out there. The armies were there to get Elisha. But there was so much more there. Because God had stationed his army of angels around the army of the Arameans, and there was no way they were going to get to Elisha. And that's the principle that I want us to understand today. There's just more there than meets the eye. Maybe you do have a troubled marriage today, and it is what it is. Maybe you're married to somebody who's giving you fits. It is what it is. He is what he is. You, by faith doesn't say, this guy's not making a mess of our marriage. This woman's not making a mess of my marriage. That's not what faith says. But faith says there's more here than meets the eye. I mean, maybe you have cancer today. And, and you have it, and the doctors have confirmed it, and it is what it is. And you don't deny that and say that you don't, but faith says there's more going on here than meets the eye. Faith sees more of reality. It's not the denial of reality. It's seeing more of it. And that's what I want you to think about today because faith is it. If you have this in your life, then God will do extraordinary things. Faith infuses you with power, and it transforms your environment. And faith is looking up to God and saying, reality is what it is, but there's more going on here than meets the eye. It is looking at your circumstances, looking at your situation, and saying, although this may be happening to me today, God is at work on a higher level. And it's real simple, but it's real challenging, isn't it? Because everything within us calls for us to look at our circumstances. That is why the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, We do not live by sight, we live by faith. Faith takes us further than what experience and sight and hearing and touching will ever take us. Now, when you and I begin to live by faith, it affects affects us on at least three levels. And I'd like for you to do something now, if you have your Bibles, would you take them please and turn to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, because we're going to see three things this morning that faith does for us When we begin to understand that there's more going on than meets the eye. I said chapter 5. Let's look at the last part of chapter 4. Here's the first thing. Verse 18. We don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on the things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. Last week, I asked how many of you had a problem or trouble in your life, and my guess is that every one of us has, it, at least on some level. Some of you have it really, really big right now, but here's what Paul talks about when he talks about living by faith. He said we don't look at the troubles in our lives. Not that we deny it. I mean, it's, it's not that we're saying it isn't there. It's just what we focus on. Now, I believe there's a word for focusing on your troubles, and the word is worry. Worry. I'm a poster child for that. I mean, isn't it true that you can have a problem in your life and you can choose to focus on it all the time or you can choose not to focus on it? Isn't that true? I mean, a problem does not demand that we focus on it. And I'm not talking about solving it or doing what's within our power to make things better. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about some kind of problem in your life that you can't do anything about. Now, when you have that problem, you have a choice to make. You can either focus on it and worry about it, or you can say to yourself, there's more going on here than meets the eye. Yes, I have a problem. Yes, I got trouble in my life. But God's at work, and there's more going on here. I'm not denying reality. I'm seeing more of it by having faith that God is at work doing things that I can't understand and doing things on a higher level. There's more going on here than meets the eye. If you have trouble in your life today, which all of us do, and we will have for the rest of our lives. I mean, some people think, why, you know, I'm following God, why am I having trouble? God was real up front about this. He said, our days are few and filled with trouble. Heaven is heaven, and this life is not heaven. And there are going to be a lot of things that we don't like about this life, but the Bible says we choose not to focus on the trouble. Why? Because the Bible says everything you can see with your eye right now is going to pass away it's the things that you can't see that are eternal you know the problem that we have with worry is that we can see our problem but we can't see God we can feel the effects of our trouble but we can't necessarily feel the presence of God that's something that you take by faith but the Bible says we choose to focus on the things which can't be seen because the things that can be seen right now are gonna pass away you know what Everything that happens in your life right now, all the problems in your life, all the situations and circumstances, someday that's going to pass. I've talked to people many times who have said, Well, I hope when I get to heaven, God will explain this to me. Mary Alice was reading a chapter of scripture to me this week, and just a great text from the book of Isaiah, where the Bible says, When we get to heaven, we're going to be so excited about what's there, we're not even going to think back on the stuff that's happened in this life. You know, when you get to heaven, trust me. You're not going to ask God why this happened to me, and I just want you to come up front and deal with me and tell me why this happened. You're going to be so blown away, you're going to forget all this stuff in the past. Your headlights are going to be on heaven. And that's why the Bible says, by faith we sort of live that way right now. We accept the fact that there's more going on here than meets the eye. Well, let's go to the next one. Because most, isn't it true, that most of our trouble is with people, right? Right? I mean, yeah, we have issues with disease, we have issues with you know, money and not that kind of thing, but my guess is that most of the issues that really keep us up at night are dealing with people. Now look, if you will, please, in chapter 5, <clears throat> verse 16. We're talking about this faith life where we believe that God's at work and doing more things than meet the eye. I love this. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view, how differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. A great issue that I have had with stress through the years is my trying to sort out why people do the things they do in my life. And oftentimes, I will back away, and and I hate to say this, but there are people in my life who I've come into contact with that I've given up on. And I've said, you know what? He is what he is, and he's never going to change. She is what she is, and she's never going to change. And I'll just finally say, you know what? I think I've gone as far as I can go here. And sometimes I have given up on people. And I, you know, I'm sorry to have to admit this in front of God and you and the television cameras, but there have been times that I've given up on people only to watch later on God change that person and completely turn them around. This is exactly what the Bible is saying here. God is saying, don't give up on people and don't judge people from a human perspective. In fact, Paul says we've given up on judging people according to human terms. Why? Because he said, if anybody's in Christ, he's a new person. I mean, he's not the same person. There's more. I mean, some of you today, you've just about given up on your husband and you've said, you know what, the guy's a jerk and he just always does the wrong thing, and he thinks he knows what I'm thinking, but he doesn't know, and next Valentine's Day he's going to give me a mop for a present. I'm just i giving up on him. He's never going to be any different. Well, maybe he is what he is. But if he's a believer, you can go home today and say, you know what, though? There's more going on here than I can see. Maybe you think your wife is never going to change, but if she's God's daughter, you just need to back up and say, there's more going on here than I can see. I'm not denying reality she's got flaws she's got issues she's got problems in her life but I'm not gonna chew on her about those things I'm not gonna yell at her and scream at her because God's at work in her and so there's more going on here than I can see how about with your kids right I'll tell you what if there's anything that will make you give up on any human being it's having a teenager and you just go over the same ground over and over and over and you just at some point you want to pull out your hair and you say i just don't think they're ever going to get there but the bible says we've given up on judging people according to human terms because here's the deal your children belong to god and if anybody's in jesus that person's a new creation there's more going think about this parents some of you who are just so worn out with the same old stuff over and over could you just get up in the morning and say i know my child is what he or she is but there's more going on here than meets the eye And some of you kids have to do the same thing with your parents. The Bible says we've given up on judging people according to the human perspective. We kind of leave that to God. Because you just never know what God's going to do. One more thing and I'm through. Turn back to chapter 4 because Paul is telling us what it's like to live by faith. You know, he said we don't look at the troubles, we focus on the invisible. And we've given up on judging people according to the human perspective. And I love chapter 4, verse 16. Just this one simple statement. That is why. We never give up. (laughs) sure been true in my life. There have been a lot of circumstances that I've thought I've reached the end, I've reached the wall, and I can't go another step further, only to watch God step in and change the environment and make new things possible. I could be talking to somebody here today, and your circumstances tell you to give up because things have not worked like you thought they were going to work. And you just feel like, hey, I'm giving up. I'm not going to try anymore. Why well, I try? I, I, I gave this my best shot and it didn't work out. Why well, try? Well, if you are God's child, faith says that there's more here than meets the eye. I mean, if you just limit, your, if you just limit your, your vision to what you can see and everything looks bad, you will feel like giving up. And I'm not telling you to deny it and pretend that it's not there because, as I said earlier, that's, that's at best mind over matter, and at worst, it's denial. I'm just saying, take a look at your circumstances again and say, all right, it is what it is, but there's more going on here than meets the eye. Gary Havens had a lifelong dream of opening fitness centers for women. His mom had been obese and in poor health and passed away when he was 13, and that was just kind of driving him. And so, in Houston <clears throat> years ago, he and his brother opened up fitness centers for women. I mean, just the whole works saunas, pools, racquetball courts, all the machines. And for a while, it was real successful. But his problem was you know, there was a lot of competition in the late 80s, 80s and early 90s for fitness centers. And when it was just for women, he was ruling out half the population, and very quickly, he could not sustain the operation was several 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 outlets and bills piled up and he's decided what he needed to do then was open the doors to men well that just blew everything up because his loyal clientele which he bought memberships because it was women only decided they'd had enough and they were out and very quickly all the doors were closed on his business he lost everything owed five million dollars his wife walked away from him he didn't have money to pay child support and because he didn't she had him thrown into to jail for several months because he couldn't pay child support how about giving up when your dream when your plan doesn't work and here i mean imagine what it would be like to sit in jail i mean some of us know what it's like to invest in something it doesn't pan out but i mean to lose everything to be five million dollars in debt and sitting in jail and not having any idea how to bring about your dream because your dream just functionally will not work. But while he was in jail, Gary read the Bible through several times. And he read stories of great Christians who had great faith. And when he got out of jail, God piece by piece began to put his life back together. He married a wonderful lady. And they began to think about what would it be like if you opened a fitness center for women but instead of like putting in all the machines, you know, the sort of male-oriented workout machines and and all the saunas and the pools and everything. What if you just opened up a a fitness center that would have just a circuitous workout where women could come in for 30 minutes and do sort of hydraulic and aerobic exercise and, you know, you didn't have all the overhead, but what would happen if you did that? And so in Harlingen, Texas, he opened the first Curves. And very shortly, there were several other stores that opened up and... It wasn't long before he didn't have to go to work anymore. There was so much money coming in, he could have just left it right there. But he wanted it to spread. He wanted to see what would happen if it franchised. And so of all places, and you got to understand, I've been in this place many times. I've spoken there. He decided to open up a store in Paris, Texas. Now, I don't, have any of you ever been to Paris, Texas? My soul, I'm amazed. Okay, okay Paris, Texas, and I'm not, I hope... Hope our television broadcast doesn't go there today it's sort of nowhere okay it's sure not dallas it's not fort worth you know it's not austin but paris and he put a 250 ad in the newspaper and said if anybody's interested in in like you know taking on one of these franchises he sat out the holiday inn with a glass of iced tea and three people came in and one of those ladies wanted the challenge and she's still managing that particular outlet today in 2006 They opened their 10,000th curves in Paris, France. Now, I thought about Gary when I got ready for this message because I love the story. But it just sort of resonates with what we're talking about, isn't it? I mean, it was what it was. His business went under in Houston. He was $5 million in debt. That was a fact. His wife had left him. That was a fact. He was sitting in jail. The bars said that's a fact. It wasn't denial of any of those things that kept Gary going. What kept him going was there was more there than met the eye. And that is what I want to get across to you today. For some of you who have discounted faith because you've heard the sort of weird stuff that churches have propagated in the past, and you said, I don't know if I want to buy into something that hazy or fuzzy, I want to tell you that's not what it is at all. It's the real thing, and it's not denying reality. It's seeing more of it, because God is at work in your life today, and I want you to know that the one thing the Lord loves to see in you more than anything else is when you can look at your circumstances and say, it's true that things are going bad today, but there's more going on here than meets the eye.